Welcome to Consider Yourself Hugged sometime in December or January. Oh, I know it's going to be December because it's giving month. So I'm Tammy. And I'm Michelle. And we are super excited. I think this is probably our final episode for our series on giving in December. And we have a special guest here, Morgan Watson. Um, who has known Michelle through I'm not even sure what avenues, and she has a special story to share with us today. So welcome. We're so glad you're here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm glad yeah. to be here. Yeah, and we were all just talking about where we're recording from. As usual, I'm in the closet, and Morgan, um, Morgan looks, you look like you're in just a nice little cozy spot. I'm on my bed. <laughs> Are you on your bed? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't see it. That's perfect. Do you see the pillows that are behind me? Because <laughs> I've got I've got a couple behind me too. <laughs> you have pillows behind you too. Oh, yeah. Michelle is in her office, so you look pretty professional. Do you have a pillow behind you? No, actually, I have my my coats behind me, and I have a blanket. So you have a blanket. Yeah. See, we are all very cozy. <laughs> well, Morgan, uh, tell us. I know that you have a very special story about your sweet little girl. So why don't you just share that with us? And then let's just kind of chat about it and see what, what's going on in your life. Yeah, well, um, long story short <laughs> or long story long, as I normally like a long uh, story. We like long stories. <laughs> I'm a, uh, I'm a little ADHD, um, clinically, but, um, Ruby, my daughter was born, um, September 19th, 2020. And, December 11th, 2020, exactly a year ago today. So quite serendipitous that y'all actually um, wanted to, to do this today. She received um, the gift of life through a heart transplant. Um, and I'm actually going to go ahead and get emotional because <laughs> it's, it's a big day. So um, a, yeah. year ago. a year ago today. Yep. Pretty wild. feels like yesterday and 10 years ago, all in, uh, all in the same. So she was three months, four months. She was almost three months old. Yep. Yeah. She, um, we had super healthy pregnancy to our knowledge, no complications, very low risk. I had planned to actually give birth in the natural labor suite at St. Thomas here in Nashville, like had a doula, um, my OB on call, all that. And, um, after about 40 hours of labor, <laughs> she, uh, oh my gosh, came out via C-section and we kind of thought that was the end of the, the trauma, but it was actually just the beginning. And, um, she ended up being um, taken to the NICU right away and was placed on a ventilator later that evening. And we, we got a call and the, the NICU staff wasn't quite sure what was wrong with her, just that her heart wasn't doing what it was supposed to. Um, and ended up at Vanderbilt Children's in the um, cardiac ICU there. Um, and they tried to kind of figure out and, and long story short, what the team, has kind of presumed happened at this point based on different blood levels and kind of the, the functioning of her heart. Um, so her left ventricle, which is part of the heart that, that pumps, um, right. kind of as we're trying to get circulation going in the body, um, wasn't working. And um, they think that she, at all, like barely, I think her ejection fraction, so that's measured, you want it to be like, ideally, I think above like 45 or 65, depending on kind of where you're at um and hers was like 13 so it was not working enough to sustain life um so they um, took a long time actually to, to figure out what was going on um which you know <laughs> over several weeks of the story i could tell you but 
come to find out, they believed that it was myocarditis. And so the way they explained that to me is, is kind of like, have you ever, ever heard of rheumatic fever in kids who get strep throat? Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily the strep throat, it's the body's reaction to the strep throat. The immune system just goes haywire. And so in Ruby's case, they think that in the last few weeks of my pregnancy, I was exposed to a stomach bug called Coxsackie B, which is known to cause this inflammatory response. And basically her, her body just went haywire and started attacking the muscles in her heart. Wow. Um, yeah. So we had no clue. I mean, 36 week ultrasound, everything looked great. She tolerated labor super well until the very end. Um, and when she came out, her heart just wasn't doing what it was supposed to. So no, no issues, no signs. You didn't have a stomach bug, right? You just, so, you-, you know, I, not that I n- knew per se, um, but they, you know, looking back, I had some digestive symptoms. I just chalked up to pregnancy the last yeah, couple of weeks. Of course. Cause you know, you're always nauseous yeah. or constipated or have diarrhea or, you know, um, I know I'm, a work. I'm a nurse practitioner. So sorry if I'm a little, <laughs> no, that we're all, I mean, of course, Michelle is, and I have a biology degree. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Talk about yeah. diarrhea, whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> so, yeah, I just, I just chalked it up to being pregnant. It wasn't anything severe. Um, earlier on in my pregnancy, I'd had, we think I'd had the flu, which could have been this, this virus. Um, and basically what the doctor said is, because in utero, so when the baby's inside of you, your body does a lot of the work for the baby and the right side of the heart is really what works. And so since the left side of her heart is what was affected, we might not have even picked it up on a regular ultrasound. Um, and so no reason to suspect anyway, no reason to suspect it. She was always, you know, all her heart rates were normal at all. My checkups, everything looked great. Growth was on track. I mean, she was born 40 weeks, one day, eight pounds, seven ounces. Oh, I mean, very premature, nothing. No. So, um, very shocking to everyone. So, um, yeah, <laughs> it was, uh, it was a lot. And, um, the, the day after she was born, she actually ended up on ECMO. So people are, I think, hearing more about ECMO with COVID and, and everything going on. ECMO. And she, for those who don't know. Oh, so it's extra, extra corporal membranous oxygenation, oxygenation. Jeez Louise. Oh my. <laughs> long, long name for basically a machine that does the work of the heart and the lungs for you. So um, it's kind of an emergency procedure. We got a call from one of the physicians. I was actually still in the hospital at this point since I'd had a C-section. Mm-hmm. Um, they transferred me to Vanderbilt, which was really great. I could be close to her. Mm-hmm. So we got a call that we needed to come over and consent that she was you know, crashing, not doing well. Um, so they, they put these little tubes, they call them cannulas, in through her carotid artery in her neck um, and inserted them into her heart. And she was already on a breathing, a breathing tube. She was already intubated at this point. And then this ECMO machine does all. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty terrifying. Um, if anyone's ever seen anyone on that, let alone your, your newborn baby. Right. (laughs) Was it like, and I'm sorry if you said this before, but so like, right. As she was born, was it like immediate, there was a problem. Was it that didn't cry? Was it that, you know, that, that new mom thing? Oh, they cry. And what she didn't cry. Um, she didn't cry and, um, they, they told me, you know, so at this point I, I had, 
I'd ended up, I'd had a fever during labor, which they didn't, they don't think caused this issue, but I was kind of delirious. And um, I just remember freaking out because she wasn't crying and they said, oh, it's fine. It's just because she didn't get the squeeze through the birth canal. She probably just, you know, aspirated a little meconium. We'll suction her. She'll be fine. We're going to take her to the NICU, take care of her. You know, um, my husband went with her and my doula stayed with me in the OR and I thought, okay, I'll see her in a couple hours and things will be, things will be fine. Um, no one quite knew. You didn't know right away. Yeah. yeah. We knew something was off, but no one was that worried. Um, at least they didn't express it to us that they were. So in that, in that three months time before she got the transplant, she was, was she in the NICU that whole, I mean, what, what was that three months like? So we were in the pediatric cardiac ICU. So it's um, kind of like a NICU. It's just for pediatric patients who have cardiac issues. So ages infancy to, you know, till adulthood. So there were mostly small children there. I'd say there were a few babies, um, few small kids, and then a sprinkling of like teenagers here and, and there. You submitted but some, some beautiful pictures. And one of them is the first time you guys got to hold her. And she was, you said a month old. Yeah, she was about a month old. Um, she ended up on ECMO for 18 days. And so we weren't allowed to hold her on that um, because the, it's a very quick procedure. And so the, the little tubes in her neck are not sewn in very securely. And so it's dangerous for them to be moved. Um, and they ended up transitioning her to what they call a VAD, a ventricular assist device um, after 18 days. And um, once she was on that for a few days, those kind of cannulation sites, they go in through the stomach, through the abdomen. And so it's a little more secure. And so we were able to hold her with, um, with supervision. Um, and they, they were so wonderful. I probably shouldn't say this in a public forum, but <laughs> one of the nurse practitioners who will go nameless was really sweet and snuck my husband in um, because of COVID, oh. we weren't allowed to be there together. So we had to be there separately. And so um, she oh, was so like, oh my God when yeah. you're together okay sorry. yeah yeah sorry I'm a little no <laughs> no 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 <laughs> um yeah so she went down and, and snuck him in we we had to kind of trade shifts and I was holding her and had never held her um besides I, I got to hold her about 30 seconds after I gave birth my my doula um her name's Natasha Hilton she's amazing she works with East Nashville doulas they are the best um she advocated for me to hold her. Um, and so I got like 30 seconds of baby time before she was whisked off and, and, you know, we had to wait a month, but yeah, that photo is of the first time. And she was still on the breathing tube, you know, it took like four nurses to get her into my lap and those tubes were still not super well healed. So I couldn't move, you know, it's not like I could get up and walk around and shake her. And yeah. Yeah. And we, and do, we do have that picture. So we'll post. I mean, I'm assuming that, that you're okay with the putting those. Yeah. Is it, okay. Yeah. We'll have some pictures and probably a link to your Instagram, if that's okay, if people want to follow. Okay. So we'll put those things in the show notes. So, but sorry, you were saying, so you were holding her and yeah, it was just, it was just, you know, um, amazing and terrifying, right? Because she's got these tubes going into her body that <laughs> her blood is cycling through attached to a little, you know, a little thing on the bed that's, um, that's doing the work of her heart. So it was um, a pretty amazing and terrifying moment. So she yeah. had to, I'm sorry, go ahead, Michelle. No, I was just going to ask Morgan, like, can I, at this point, like, how are you? Like, this is a difficult, and it's a difficult process for several, for many months. So, yeah. 
how am I now or how was I in the in the moment and well both we want to get to both but in the moment like how were you in that moment? um I'm fine right now you know I've, I've told yeah. Ruby's story a lot um and I think you know I'm a very open person in general it, it took me a long time to tell her story in the beginning I think I waited till she was about seven weeks old to, to post anything on Instagram about her. Um, and I'm not super into social media. So, it, you know, it's not like it, it wasn't a strange thing for me to have waited a little while, but I think people were starting to get concerned when they hadn't, hadn't seen something. Cause everyone knew, you know, to keep and see. Yeah. 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 But it was hard just cause it's scary. And we didn't know, I mean, we didn't know if she was going to live, you know, I mean, when your child goes on ECMO, that's, not a good sign. Um, and especially when the doctors can't figure out what's going on, you know, it wasn't until probably a month or two later that they determined with, you know, pretty good confidence. They think it was myocarditis. Um, and that was because they got blood levels from her. They got blood levels from me. And so to signify recent infection, they get what they call like titers and their antibodies or, and so your, my levels doubled in the time span of a month, which showed the possibility of a recent infection with that particular virus. Um, and that's how they came to that conclusion. They're still not 100% sure um, that that's what it was. It could have been, you know, a heart attack at some point. Um, she tolerated labor really well, though, the whole time until the very end. And that's not what they said a heart attack looks like. So they they really think this is what it was. And I've, I've had several specialists tell me that um, based on where the damage occurred and and the fact that everything structurally looked good that that's probably um that's probably the likely cause it's strange things that can affect you know my son who's 33 now i think it's been about 10 years and he was living in dc and i was working down in atlanta and i got a call that he was going to the emergency room and first they thought it was um a pulmonary embolism and then I thought it was several different things and I was flying up there and then they, it was a pericarditis and thought it was from a virus. And then they flat out told us he had lupus. So my husband and I are like planning our life and we meet with the rheumatologist who was like, well, it did, he did, who was the one who told us it was lupus. And then he said, well, he did have a positive you know, lupus factor, but none of the other factors were. So we don't think it's lupus. But anyway, it's like we still don't know exactly what caused it. And he still has some um, episodes even after mm-hmm. 10 years. And it's a real, you know, the heart. You, yeah. You know. But it's, tell it's, us. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, and it's, it's just even more scary when you realize, you know, your physicians and nurse practitioners and nurses, they don't even know, you know, and it's, uh, you know, that's, that's why they call it practicing medicine. It's just always practicing and learning more. And um, so. Well, tell us a little bit about um, like support during those times. Mm-hmm. And then we do want to hear about the transplant part as well. And cause that's yes. gosh, but tell us a little bit about how you did or didn't feel supported like your friends and what did people do that was helpful to you? Mm-hmm. And what did people do that maybe wasn't so helpful? several things I found really helpful. One was um, to kind of have like a liaison to answer questions for you. And so my um, two of my close friends, Courtney and April started a meal train website for us. And on that website would post updates. And so it was really nice to kind of have, okay, I'm going to send Courtney this blurb about what's going on and a picture, but she's going to post it. She's going to man the website. 
Um, so she was able to field a lot of questions. And it was helpful that Courtney's a nurse practitioner as well. She works in palliative care. So she could kind of translate some of the stuff I was telling her into. Translate it. She did that for you. Oh, that's really, yeah. That's yeah, really good. Yeah. Really helpful. Yeah. Um, so having that, and then like my, my sister-in-law, my husband's sister was a liaison for the family and we would update her some days. I wasn't able to, she would kind of call every day and, um, it was just too much for me some days. So he would talk to her and, and she would keep kind of, he comes from a very large family. There's like 75 people at gatherings. And so all the cousins, you know, um, so that, that was the update. Yeah. So it was really nice. You know, you want to hear from people, but you don't want to hear from a hundred people. And, um, it's not that you don't want to hear from a hundred people, it's just overwhelming to try to repeat the same thing. And so it was, it was nice to know that people were following, but that I didn't have to put in the effort to tell everyone myself. It's not that I didn't want to, I just completely didn't have the energy. You know, yeah. I was in fight or, fight or flight mode. Um, I'm pumping at this point because <laughs> um, they were feeding her through a tube, you know, learning how to be a new mom, your baby's in the ICU, you just had surgery. It's, you know, um, so to have that was really nice. Um, did you, also did you appreciate or not like texts or phone or voicemails or messages where people just said, you don't have to reply. I just, I mean, yeah. do, is that good or not good? That was actually great because it, it just took the pressure off, you know, and, and, and I would usually end up replying after, you know, some time when I had the convenience, but just to know that someone was thinking about you. And I think I mentioned this to Michelle the other day and the, the people that still do that now, it's, it's so nice. Um, and I kind of equated it to when, when you lose a loved one, like I lost my dad, um, about 10 years ago. And usually after a loss or a, you know, a tragedy of some sort, people that, that care about you are, are very involved in the beginning and then mm -hmm. life just goes on. And, and no one, I don't think means anything intentionally by, by not continuing to message. It's just not as prevalent. Um, and so the people that kind of continued to message or continue to recognize milestones, that's been really helpful and supportive along the way, um, to have that. I, and that's always such a good reminder because sometimes, you know, when we've been through things that were very traumatic or tragic in the moment is almost sometimes, I don't want to say necessarily easier, but but you have more support and help. And then when it all dies down a little bit, it can really leave you in a, in an emotional place and you don't have yeah. the support that you had before. Yeah, that's completely. I mean, when we finally brought Ruby home in January, it was so overwhelming because not only are you new parents, but you're new parents to this medically complex child. And she was on 21 medications. I was giving meds five times a day. I'm the nurse in the family. So a lot of that fell on me and a lot of that I took on because I'm very type A. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's a lot. Um, and to mm -hmm. continue to have some support during that time can be really, really helpful. You know, it's not just, you know, she got the heart and things were great. You know, things are, we're still going through a lot because of some, some things that happened while she was, was in the hospital. And so, um, yeah, that, that's nice. And, and then we got some really lovely, you know, like meals were wonderful. Um, now with like DoorDash and Grubhub, it was, people were so generous. We were so touched by the gift cards that we got um, and just meals that people dropped off. It was really, really nice. That's good to know that's helpful because sometimes people don't know what else to do, but give you food. Yeah, you know? and food is 
I mean, I mean, it was one less thing I had to worry about. I didn't have to eat, you know, crappy hospital Taco Bell every day. Oh. <laughs> you know, I got, I had delicious leftover pizza or, you know, a casserole or, or like I said, Grubhub and I could just order what I wanted. It was so, you know, the, the food delivery was, was really nice um, for us to have, to be able to just, you know what, we don't have to worry about it tonight. We're leaving the hospital. We're going to order this and it'll be there when we get home. What about, did anybody um, come over and help you like clean your house or do your laundry or? So we are super blessed. And my mom actually had just moved to town um, right before Ruby was born. And she um, was living with us at the time because we'd helped her get a house and she was, we were having to do some renovations. It's older. And so she was doing our laundry and reheating food for us. Um, had we not had her, I don't, I like, it would have been shambles because, because A, you know, we're both just exhausted emotionally. My husband had to go back to work because he didn't, he doesn't have a paternity leave policy with his company. And, you know, you just don't feel, I was depressed. I didn't feel like doing anything. Um, and, and so, yeah, if we hadn't had that to have, I had neighbors who volunteered to help and we just, we didn't need it because my mom was here, but we had you know, my lovely neighbors like Heather and Allison walked our dogs for us some, cause my mom's just not as agile and little things like that were, were really nice. Um, just a little, little offer that my friends sent me with, especially being a pumping mom, you know, I got protein bars and huh. trail mix and, um, good smelling hand sanitizer and lotion. And, um, my sister-in-law and the cousins put together this great package of like house slippers just to leave at the hospital. So you had shoes because you know, the hospital floors are gross, you know, and you don't want to bring those socks shoes with the dots on the bottom, but they don't fit your feet. <laughs> Yeah. And so it was nice to have those actual like little house shoes. They just got at Target and, you know, a blanket that I could keep there and, and feel cozy and um, just little things like that were, were really nice. And so this was like also kind of at the height of, of COVID, right? So you were probably wanted to be very protective of yeah. who was around Ruby at that time. Yeah. Well, and we, we weren't allowed to have any visitors. So because of the height of COVID, I mean, my mom, got to meet her the day of her VAD surgery. And that was because they made an exception. And I'm pretty sure it's because they weren't sure she was going to make it through the surgery. Um, wow. So it was a very different time <laughs> that hopefully no one else will ever have to go through, um, but it made it even more isolating. And so those small things to make it more cozy and to just leave at the hospital were even more important. How long was she on the transplant list? 11 weeks. So she got listed when she was a week old and um, waited 11 weeks. The average wait for a heart transplant in her age group is six to eight weeks. Um, they, they said, you know, and it's so, it's so morbid to talk about and to think about, but it's, it's the reality, you know, you get a transplant when, when someone passes. And um, a lot of times those are from accidents and, and car accidents. Um, and because of COVID, a lot of people just weren't traveling. Um, and so the wait times were, were longer, they said, than, than normal. Gosh, you don't think about, that. I mean, yeah. I know you said it, it is, it's a difficult thing to talk about, but that's the yeah. reality. And for age as a baby, like mm -hmm. what were the, did it have to be for her to get a heart? What was the, the range? So the cool thing about babies is that they can take really any, um, any heart as long as it's the right size. So it, you know, normally we talk about ABO compatibility. So I'm a positive, I would have to get, you know, a heart from either a universal donor or an a positive. Um, 
for babies, because they're so little, they haven't developed a lot of antibodies. They can take a heart from any blood type, which is really amazing. Um, And it has to be, I think they generally say under a year old um, for her age, you know, the heart can be a little bigger or a little smaller, but they want it to, to be around the size um, to, to fit with her. So it's not as specific as, um, as adults, but in general, adults and teenagers tend to get their hearts more quickly. Um, A, because we're more reckless <laughs> than babies, you know? And a lot of times when, when babies pass, it's because they had some sort of cardiac issue um, underlying or, you know, donation isn't talked about. And, and, and that's one thing, you know, I, I would like to share more about is, you know, Please. just talking about it before that time happens. And so, you know, what your family might do if it came to that, because to make that decision in that moment, um, I just, I, I can only imagine how difficult it would be. Um, and, and that is the, one of the things that, I'm, that, that I've talked about before is that my brother, he um, passed away in an accident um, is the semester before he was getting ready to graduate from college. Very sudden, very unexpected. And um, when they asked my mother, she said no to the um, organ donation question, and she regretted it later. But because it wasn't really something that was talked about beforehand, where we all knew exactly what we wanted to do, there's just a gap sometimes between you know you logically know that person's gone, but you emotionally haven't maybe necessarily accepted it yet. So I mean that can complicate mm-hmm. you know, answering that question. So I think I feel like you know it had that been talked about before that um, her answer probably would have been different. Did, did you know, do you learn anything about the donor when you, when this happens or? No, they've gotten pretty, um, pretty stringent about rules. I think over the past 10 years, we have um, a friend who we met through the process whose daughter got a transplant, I think like eight years ago now. Um, and through kind of social media, they ended up finding out who, who was who. Um, but for us, all we know is that the, we know the heart was A positive, which is Ruby's blood type. And um, we know it came from a child under a year old. And that's really all we know. You know, I, I got a call, they call you during surgery and say, hey, the, the heart is in transport. You know, they told me the heart is in the van. So I knew it was somewhere driving distance. Um, our little friend, Nora, who got a heart, she's nine now. She was paired with Ruby in the hospital um, and just amazing, sweet little girl, you know, her, when her mom got the call, it was the hearts on the jet, you know? So really all we know is it's, it was within a couple mile driving or a couple hours driving distance. Um, They tell you the cold ischemic time. So basically how long the heart's out of the body. And I, I have completely forgotten that. I I think Ruby's was like two and a half hours or something. It was pretty short. Wow. Um, But that's all we know. And then um, the rules are we we can write a letter to the donor family, which we decided to do um, this past February, and then they can choose to write back or not. And so you give it through the coordinator. So like we gave it to the nurse coordinator at Vanderbilt, and she passes it to the coordinator at the hospital where the child passed, um, and they pass it to the family. And and you know I say unfortunately, but um, you haven't heard. We haven't heard and. And, and to be honest, I, so A, I just wanted to write the letter um, because I just, um, just yeah. very grateful. Um, and I, I feel so much for that family. Um, 
but even if I hadn't wanted to, I felt like it was, it was on me to write that because I'm the one who's lucky enough to have my daughter with me right now. Um, and, and so I, even if I hadn't wanted to, I would have, but, um, but yeah, we haven't heard anything and I respect that everyone grieves differently and, and we don't know the circumstances, you know, um, it could have been a car accident. It could have been, mm-hmm. you know, something that happened during, during birth. It could have been what they call a non-accidental trauma. So child abuse, you know, we, we don't know yeah. why this child passed. I mean, we don't know the trauma surrounding it. And so, um, I don't know if we'll ever hear from them. I would, whatever they need to heal is, is what I'm happy to give. Um, if they want to reach out, they want to meet Ruby, they want to hear the heart. I would love that. Um, and if they don't, I respect that. So. Gosh, we've, and I, and I want you to, before we go to make one more plea about that, you know, Michelle's kind of had an experience where with her mom and her brother and that last minute, and we had a young couple living with us, um, eight or nine years ago. And he began to get sick. They were both in their early twenties and he was very soon in full on liver failure. So he was so sick and near death many times while he was on the list, but he needed a liver and he did get a liver. And so now that's been a few years and she didn't even know whether her husband was going to live. And now not only that he's alive and well, and she's on her third pregnancy. And so such a gift you know yeah. and we did my husband and I did sign our organ donors um after that you know because we had a personal experience but I don't yeah. think it's people don't you just don't think about it unless mm-hmm. unless you're just naturally that way yeah or you've had a personal experience so maybe maybe Morgan could you I mean what do you think holds people back and what would you say to try to encourage them to think of that gift in their future you know, I think there's lots of myths surrounding organ donation um, that, that hold a lot of adults back. You know, um, I remember thinking in, in high school, someone told me, you know, if you're an or- organ donor, they don't try as hard to save your life. Um, and that's com- it's completely false. Um, the, the team that is working to save your life is 100% different than the team that is aware of what organs are needed and where. So, they you know, if a baby came into do they even know, like when you're in the emergency room or if you're an organ? They shouldn't necessarily know. Um, you know, if they look at your ID, they might see, but that's not even on their mind. Um, right. And they they can't decide who it goes to. So it's not like, oh, a baby came in and they might die. We really want Ruby to have it because we love her. It doesn't work that way. You know, we don't know where Ruby is on the list. We don't know how many other children or adults or whatever are waiting at that time. And, and so that's why they keep the teams com- completely separate. Like our transplant team, didn't know where Ruby was on the list. They didn't know what number she was, anything like that. Um, and it's Unos actually that says, Hey, this heart has been given and we've matched it with, with this. So the, the team working to save your life has no, has no say other than, you know, the, the team who is accepting the organ gets to say, yes, this is a, we want it or no, we don't. Um, but they, the people who are working to save your life, if you're the one dying, um, really has no say in, in that at all. Um, so that scary world we lived in, if that's the way it were, that would be like an episode of like that show Black Mirror that's about, you know, yeah. this future scary society where they don't work on you as hard. That would just be awful. So that yeah. that's good that you brought that up. Are there other things you think that? You know, I, I think it's just, and it's so hard because, you know, when, when they do have to 
obtain organs from from a donor, you know, the 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 body still has to be working in some ways. And so, you know, they they might still be on life support. And so I I understand kind of both sides. I understand why someone might want to hold their child until they pass, even though technically they've already passed. You know, they have no brain activity. They have no signs of life other than this machine that's keeping them alive. Um, and so for us, it was a really hard decision when Ruby was on ECMO to think, well, what will we do if she does pass? And and we came to the decision that we would donate her organs if any of them were viable. Um, Talked about it. We did. We did because knowing that we were waiting for that and how much of a difference that would make in our lives, we just knew that it, it might bring us some peace to feel like this wasn't all completely in vain. You know, our devastation could at least bring some sort of life or joy to someone else. Um, and, you know, the, the number of people that one person can save, I think it's like eight, eight people's lives, one donor can save. Um, and so that's wow. eight people that you might know, you know? Um, and, and I think just relating, like you said, having that empathy, having someone that you know that's been through it can, it just changes your whole perspective, you know? And that makes your story even just more worthwhile so that people can hear that and know and see that picture of you and your husband and that little girl. And that mm-hmm. because of, of somebody doing that, she's still here. Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty amazing and pretty, pretty selfless that someone was able to give us that gift. And um, we are not a day goes by that we don't think about that child and that family. Um, today is today is mixed with a lot of emotions of, of joy for Ruby, um, but of, of great sadness for the family. Uh, Gosh. I yeah, I don't, you know, that makes yeah. me want to reach out to my friend and we don't really talk about that, you know, about the sadness mm-hmm. that comes along with that. Yeah. Well, how, how Michelle early on said, you know, she wanted to know how are you doing and you talked about before and you said you were okay but how is your life right now as we kind of end our our time together and there are some recent pictures of ruby on the, yes with that as well yes and she's beautiful on um, uh, instagram no instagram she sent them. Uh, i'm sorry what where she sent them i sent them to you yes oh the ones that you sent me right okay so we'll have some yeah, if you don't see those pictures and don't feel the tug on the heart to want to be a person who can. <laughs> she, you may also want to mention the picture about your your friend who is the photographer. Oh, yeah. So there's um, one of the photos is a, a beautiful photo. And our, our friend Suha, her, um, her daughter is the one who received a transplant eight years ago. And she runs a nonprofit called World of Broken Hearts. And... Um, Pre-COVID, she did a lot of photography in the hospital for families, um, a lot of really tough photography um, of kids in, in really rough spots and sometimes of kids in their last moments. And um, she's just an amazing human. And she did this beautiful gold heart series of um, girls. And so she was telling the story of when her daughter kind of first started, you know, becoming self-aware and recognizing her scars and feeling self-conscious. And so she did this beautiful series, if you follow her on Instagram, um, where she kind of highlighted the scars with gold and got all these girls who'd had congenital heart disease and and just, it's it's a beautiful series. And so she asked if she could do a photo of Ruby like that. And Oh, um, yes. The really pic- neat. We, if you'll send us links to 
like to her photography or sure. you know, the project that she's doing yeah. any of those any things of would be great. be great so your life so is still it's good. Um, we are very busy. So the one, unfortunately, one of the risks of being on the life support that Ruby was on is a risk of stroke. Um, and she did have a, a pretty massive stroke the week before her, um, her transplant, um, which has been a hard thing for us to grapple with. Um, you know, you're already dealing with a transplant and then now we have the stroke on top of it. And had, had we gotten that heart a week sooner, um, this is not something we would have to be dealing with right now you know um but it's uh, you know it, you feel even even guilty saying that because we're just so glad to have her um but it has added a, a, a layer of difficulty she was diagnosed with um uh, cerebral palsy because of it um very mild cerebral palsy um you wouldn't know just looking at her but she has um some significant right-sided weakness so we do pt twice a week ot twice a week we have feeding therapy um you know, she had a, a feeding tube for a long time, kind of in and out. Um, we call it an NG tube. It goes through the nose. A lot of kids end up with B tubes, so they go right through the stomach and in, in in there. Um, so we're busy. Um, fortunately, I have a job that I work three twelves, and so I'm able to be here a lot. And my mom is able to be here otherwise. Um, okay, that's what I was gonna. I wasn't sure if you were full time momming, or full time momming and full time working. Sounds yeah, like yeah, yeah. Um, uh, our, I work Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, seven to seven. And so my husband's here on Sundays and my mom's here Mondays and Tuesdays. So we're very, very fortunate to have the support that we have. Um, with you that. know, and that's, that's good that you, that there are other people that can care for her the way she needs to be cared for it other than just you. Yeah. It was very anxiety provoking. We did not leave her with anyone for several months. Yeah. <laughs> We actually hired one of the, uh, one of the nurses from the ICU. I was like, how much do you want an hour? I just need a date night out. <laughs> and That's I, yep. Yeah. And I said, cause I felt safe. She knew how to give meds. She knew how to do CPR. You know, it was, um, but, but now we've, um, you know, we're, we're venturing a little more, but, um, you know, because Ruby got a transplant, she's on immunosuppressants. So her immune system's compromised. And so she still doesn't, socialize a lot she doesn't get to meet a lot of people um we don't take her out to restaurants we don't we don't go out places with her um and it's unfortunate you know that because of covid it's extra scary and um because of the the climate in which this has happened and how polarized it is um you know it's hard to navigate that i will say it's very hard um we're very big on vaccines and masking in our family because we have to be we don't have the privilege to really choose um you know, and, and, and I hate to, to call it a privilege, but it, it is for a lot of people. And, and for us, it's just not, you know, um, I think, I think we would either way that just because that's where our beliefs are. Um, and I respect other people's beliefs not to. Um, but because a lot of people aren't so cautious, we have to be extra cautious. That's just complicated your life even more. Yeah, but it's good. It's also, it's also given us, you know, the silver lining is it's a lot easier to ask people to wear masks or put hand sanitizer on. It's not, it's not as you know um so we've got that and um i'm actually pregnant again <laughs> so congratulations when are you due may 3rd may 3rd so okay gosh well congratulations are you feeling okay yeah yeah a lot better it's exhausting uh i don't know how i have a friend who has four kids so you know hats off to all the moms out there who who do it it's second pregnancy is a lot harder because you're you're chasing around the little one. Um, right. It's, there's no downtime. 
Wow. But it's very blessed. Very, very blessed. You have just really just been, I mean, inspirational and have so many good messages. Is there anything you else you want to say to our women who are listening, whether it's helping, um, anything, just anything at all, any encouragement? Well, I would just say, I mean, you can, you can get through pretty much anything, (laughs) you know, um, it's, it's hearing that sometimes, you know, sometimes it's like people say, I don't know how you do it. You're so strong. And, um, we all have that strength in us. We just haven't tapped into it. You just maybe haven't, haven't had the opportunity to, to have to utilize it. But if you had told me, I, I, I would have made it through this, you know, before this happened, I, I wouldn't have believed you. Um, but, but here I am. And whether you, you know, believe in God or the universe or whatever, you know, um, having that support and, and that strength is, has been helpful and, and having the strength of other women. I mean, the biggest support I have right now are my, my female friends, my mom friends in particular, and my, my heart mom friends, um, the, the ladies I've met through, through the hospital are amazing. Um, my friend Allie's little boy got a heart three years ago. My friend Anna, her little boy has a different heart complication and hopefully will never need a heart transplant. Um, and her husband does a lot of advocacy with murals around town. And it's just, it's um, so important is, I yeah, mean, so leaning, leaning on your community, you understand too, you know, it's, I mean, women in general and family and friends, but to have those women who have felt what you're feeling, it, that's just makes a big difference. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I, I would just encourage people to reach out. I, I, I had a friend who I, I had failed to reach out to when, when something tragic happened in her life. And, um, and I ended up reaching out to her recently um, when Ruby was in the hospital and, and just letting her know how sorry I was and how, you know, I think what kept me from reaching out was not knowing what to say. And after being in a situation where I wanted to hear from people, it didn't matter what they said, just a, a heart emoji or an I love you or or an honest, I don't know what to say, but I'm thinking about you. Um, it just, it meant, it means so much just to hear from the people. So if you're thinking about reaching out to someone, I would just do it. And it doesn't matter what you say. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Cause that's, I mean, I need to hear that. I, I know exactly who it is. I need to reach out to right now as you're talking mm-hmm. you know? and a part of it. I mean, I'll just admit, sometimes I just get wrapped up in my own stuff. hundred percent. We're all so busy. And as women <laughs> we're, we're expected to do so many things all the time, you know? So, um, I think, you know, I've learned to give people a lot of great grace through this process as well. So. Oh, I know we can hear that, you know, just from you and your heart. So Michelle, do you have anything else? Thank you so much, Morgan, for um, sharing your story and Ruby's story. It's incredibly encouraging, inspiring. Yes. Thanks for having me. Sorry if I rambled on a bit. <laughs> Wow, a lot of it. You were amazing. So send me those links. I have the pictures. If there's anything else that you want us to have, we'll put all those things in the show notes. So, um, you know, you all know where to go, go to TammyWest.com and the show notes. We'll have all of, of Morgan and Ruby's things there. We'll have Michelle's practice link. Um, if you're not part of the Facebook group, make sure you jump in there so you can see, you know, maybe Morgan will, um, join us there. I don't know. And have some other little Ruby things. Um, gosh, what else? What did I forget? I, this, this is the episode that will air. This will be our last one on giving, right? Yes. 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 So we'll be getting close to Christmas. So 
Um, we've got one more episode right before Christmas where you'll just hear from Michelle and from me. So Morgan, what we do at the end is very awkward and never works well. But what we do is we say until next time, consider yourself hugged. So I'll just say then until next time. And then we'll just all say, consider yourself hugged. Are you ready? Okay. Sounds good. All right, ladies. So until next time, consider, consider yourself hugged. <laughs>